story of my life. Good morning, everybody. And it's another conversation with Agility by Nature and me and Gil. Uh, it's a lovely day outside, which after four days of torrential rain and flooding, I'm quite relieved about because we've been trapped in because of lockdown and we've been trapped in because we can't use our cars through some of the roads. It's made behaviour very interesting in the house. I also have a teenager in the house and he's becoming a teenage. We know what that behaviour can be like, mums and dads. I'm really looking forward to talking to today's guest because actually behaviour is something she's an expert on. Today's guest is Kerry newton Sangenar. Hi there, how are you? Hello, I'm very well thanks Ian, how are you? I'm doing okay, well I'm a bit flustered, I'm a little <laughs> bit flustered as we said earlier but I'm glad you're here, it's going to be a lovely conversation, thank you so much for joining us. Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious how you got to where you are because um, you know when we talk about Agile I hear a lot about process, I hear a lot about technology, I hear a lot about mapping and canvases which is all fantastic. So very often we talk about, well, it's the people, the change within people and how they can change their behaviour. Something strange happens in the company world that changes that. But before we get to Agile, you started in law. Mm. You're not the first person. I did a law degree and two of my guests before, Erin has got a law degree. What is it about law and us Agile people? I, I don't know. I think it's something to do with the, the, the words for me like that was what it was for me it was the intricacy of the words all the twiddly bits <laughs> all the, the, uh, Sorry. i was gonna say it was all the uh, the, the the interpretations or yeah. the different ways of looking at things which i think actually ties quite nicely into into the agile world that's very true actually and um lots of frameworks and constructs to think about in the mm. world as well mm. uh, and actually Strange to say, I think I thought I'd say this about lawyers. Lawyers have to deal with a lot of people as much as they have to deal with contracts and things of that nature. Yeah. So it's actually very interesting. But you didn't stay long doing uh, law, uh, and actually you've been um, in quite a few roles, executive PA, you've been studying a great deal of uh, social psychology, a Bachelor of Law, but also you got an English degree, and you then became an English teacher. Mm. Which I think that's... That must have been interesting because it was foreign students and you were also in Madrid and Barcelona while you were teaching English. Mm. How'd you get there? Um, so, well, I just, uh, I saw, um, saw a job posting come up online. Saw the and, yeah, that's it. You know, um, yeah, I was working over here and it was a bit dreary. So I thought I'll give that a whirl to see an opportunity, take an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it took about, um, about three weeks and suddenly I was living in Spain. Um, yeah to you a lot <laughs> <laughs> what the impulsivity or the ending up in spain <laughs> impulsivity actually is quite interesting yeah that that does that does happen a lot that's that's why i became a behavioral coach you know <laughs> exactly now describe to me what a behavioral coach does because uh, you're an agile behavioral coach and so i'm kind of keen to sort of what does that mean yeah, sure. Well, so I started out in um, I started out in Agile. I was a Scrum Master um, first off, um, as so many of us are after I left teaching. Um, and I guess I noticed that as I was working with uh, with my Scrum teams, a lot of what I was doing with them was sort of helping them with the dynamics. So um, helping high performing teams, you know, not looking so much at the environment and the system they sort of were working through that themselves but the bit that I was working through with them was more their their interactions the dynamics within the team um so I had the pleasure of working with um a very high performing team
team who you know wanted to really fine tune their performance um, which was lovely um, but sort of equally satisfying was working with teams who started out you know fairly dysfunctional we, we all know the term uh, rock star yeah, and when yeah. you sort of you get a team with multiple rock stars you know at least two um, you're gonna you're gonna get some some fireworks you know yeah. because it, the developers are um, you know extremely talented extremely capable people they know what they're doing and they've got a rough idea of or sometimes a very clear idea of what the answer is going to be yeah, yeah. Um, and then when somebody else has an equally clear idea and just as much experience uh, but in a different direction obviously they meet in the middle and sometimes um, yeah, sometimes they, they don't not quite as responsive to the other person's ideas as they could be so I guess that's where I come in I, I help to you know to bridge the gap to, to smooth the edges and yeah help them work together um, in a way that sort of is much more productive and doesn't leave anybody feeling like they want to throttle the other developer. Yeah, because a lot of, um, I mean, you, you've got developers, they're kind of strong-willed, uh, rightly so, um, uh, and they don't always um, take kindly to some of this agile stuff as well. You know? Yeah, sure. You have this kind of stand-up. There's a lot of ceremonies, oh, God, do I really need this? It's a bit of a waste of time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and is that something you also have to um, overcome? Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. Um, and, you know, I guess in those instances, I, I know this is a quite a common problem. So, um, you know, in those instances, typically what we do is rather than, um, you know, pushing agile, because it's normally it's, it's change that has been pushed upon people that, you know, that people... Um, rebel against um, yeah. you know people don't tend to like change done to them we're, we're far more happy to go along with things when we've made the choice that takes us there so you know a lot of what I do is actually working not just with the team but also with the sort of the wider organization on or you know the leadership on how they are pushing agile and you know sort of you know, making it more of a pull system yeah, you know yeah. introducing that sort of that canvas but you know when when people are um, are pulling ideas in for themselves and so we you know we, we start by stripping away the terminology and and the, yeah, the yeah. ceremonies and actually go back to this idea of making incremental improvements and people when you do that people are far more willing to actually um, go along with um, with, with this idea of, of, you know, constantly improving your process, constantly improving your product, but doing it in small increments um, and trying it out. And, you know, the thing that we end up saying is, well, let's just try it and see what happens, yeah. you know, and if it doesn't work, we can stop. And, you know, more often than not, it works beautifully. And then the next time we try another thing and we don't call it sprints and we don't talk about, um, uh, you know, um, release trains and all of that. We just talk about, well, let's try this for a week or two. Yeah. See how it goes. And yeah, you tend to meet a lot, a lot less resistance because it's a lot less frightening. It's a lot less to process. And especially during something like a pandemic, when there's so much to process anyway, if you then go and throw, um, you know, agile ways of working at a team that haven't been using that before, it's just too much change to cope with. It's, it's too much. We can't process that much all at once absolutely a few things occur to me actually i mean you know you were a teacher and, and i remember teachers and they told there was a keeping discipline was kind of the first priority of the day like, <laughs> be quiet sit down stand up uh listen a scrum mastery is not really that positional hierarchical no. 
control position. And I wonder if you found the difference between being a teacher rather different to being a scrum master. Although admittedly, I suppose perhaps you, you were dealing with older learners. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, there was there was some of, uh, you know, there was quite a learning curve to begin with. Um, but I think one of the things that helped me was um, before before I left teaching, I started to learn about uh, Montessori, um, which is a very specific way. And it wasn't um, because of my job. It was actually because of my my kids, because I'd uh -huh. become a mum. And so I was learning about Montessori as this way of education, um, which is very different to traditional teaching. Um, so Montessori is, um, I, I kind of like to term it agile, but for kids. Um, so, you know, you sort of, you take this body of, um, of curriculum that children need to somehow absorb, uh, but you split it into smaller parts and you give the children sort of the, the, the first element. Um, and it's very hands-on, very practical, um, far less, virtually no theory, in fact. And, and you let the kids try it out and they see which bits work for them and which bits they like and then they choose to follow those bits um you know they, they sort of they pick the direction that they work in and follow that through um until it reaches the conclusion you know where they're no longer interested or they feel yeah. satisfied or they've learned yeah. as much as they want to um and they can do that as many times as they like and it's very child-led very you know child-centric um, and so yeah it sort of it tied in quite nicely to agile so when i stopped teaching yeah that was my husband said you should you should read you know read about scrum and read about agile i think you'll really like it um so yeah that was uh because uh, my son who is the teenager um charlie um he recently asked me so what did you learn from school and why do we go to school it was one of those classic you know threat in your face and i was, I was thinking about well is it to pass exams or is it to learn i was rather listening to you it sounds more that it should be more about learning i think uh, i think the school should be about learning how to think you know it's less about um less about the answers uh, the the answer is not the desired outcome. It's yeah. you know, much like the problem is is never the problem. The answer is not necessarily the answer. You know, it's it's far more about how you think, or it should be. <laughs> um, you know, far more about how you think about things, so that you you know you develop those skills um, later in life. And also for me, I think you know a huge. Um, a huge part of school is actually learning how to interact. And I think, you know, if, if we placed more focus on that in schools, uh, well, firstly, I wouldn't have a job anymore. <laughs> um, but, you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, we could create some, uh, you know, some really beautiful things, I think, uh, if, uh, if, we, if we were taught more to collaborate and uh, you know, shown, shown how, you yeah. know, with, with examples and modelling. Um, yeah, if kids could... Something things. strange happens in work. I don't know what happens um the nice people outside of work suddenly find themselves in systems and, and processes that they just don't seem to be achieving a great deal that's not a universal truth mm -hmm. uh, but that comes from the top so it's a lot of your work really about getting senior management mindset different so then you can start emancipating different ways of working further down the organization yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when, you know, when we're stuck within these rigid structures, then yeah, absolutely. We, we rebel again. Um, you know, people don't tend to, to be like, you know, tend to like to be told what to do. Some people that, you know, that suits absolutely perfectly. They just want to be given their work, do their work, go home. But I think for a lot of people, especially in a 
you know creative industry like like tech which i think you know tech is a creative industry despite the fact that it works with logic it's still a you know massively creative um uh, discipline um but yeah, I, I, getting people to understand that, getting, um, you know, helping management to understand that, because, you know, the perception is that, you know, you, you plug the numbers into the computer, yeah. the computer works, and then the output is the output. And we all know that that's, you know, that's clearly not the way that it actually works out. Otherwise, you know, Google and Facebook wouldn't crash every few weeks, exactly. um, you know. Um, but yeah, so helping uh, helping management to actually understand um you know a, a large part of my work is i guess is translation um you know translating between the two two sides and helping them to actually understand each other in a more ongoing sense is the two uh, sides in that regard for what about management and people working or is it something else um i think well i mean this is a this is a bit of a huge topic isn't it i think once you step into that role of um, of management of leadership um, there's a huge uh, amount of sort of um, ego driven expectation that starts to come into play um, you know a large part of um, what people don't realize they're doing is trying to look good you know trying to look like they're doing their job trying to look like they're you know driving results and making progress and yeah. Uh, you know, and some of that is is financially driven, and a large part of it is you know socially driven. So I guess, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the 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 big word is change, um, and so you hear about transformation. You want people to behave differently, but it's change and even put it into small lumps. There's still making it sticky as soon as the pressures i've seen coaches who get anywhere near delivery or have the responsibility of delivery they're no longer coaching i guess uh, and their behavior changes mm. immediately and they mm. start becoming part of the old system rather yeah. than the transformation of new system so it's very hard to break the shackles but it's this yeah. change thing is really hard it's emotionally hard yeah it's structurally hard as well Someone like yourself, you're really positive. I know I've spoken to you before, you, you know, people aren't that positive all the time. No. How do you bring around that? Is it always going to be a gradual, gradual journey? Or do you, is there sometimes you just need something more fundamental, uh, uh, the, the burning platform where the choice has gone out the window, you have to change? Mm. I mean, I have a huge number of questions in this. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts happening there. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, the, I, I want to come back just to, for a moment. Um, you know, the, the closer the people get to the end result. I think a large part of our um, our drive to get things right is this uh, this habit we have of unintentionally, I guess, but nonetheless, um, it comes a large part down to shame and not wanting to feel shame and not wanting to be shamed. And this all comes back to social inclusion, yeah. um, you know, wanting to maintain our position as part of the group. And, you know, if we get the team into trouble by not getting that successful outcome, you know, we feel shame for ourselves and also we, you know, bring potentially our team into disrepute. And, you know, none of us, um, you know, on a subconscious level, none of us want this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's that one. That's, as I say, that's a, that's a very big topic. We could spend hours on that. And then the next thing that you said, <laughs> remind me, go on, I've lost my I've time. completely forgotten, actually, but I, <laughs> I think it was about that, how do you balance the structural changes? 
which I guess is what, to a degree, the agile frameworks are trying to do, change the different work and go into smaller increments. But still, there's that adopting change. And when the pressure's on, I've seen yeah, so many right. laudable activities unwind really mm. rapidly. Oh, yeah, we haven't got time for it anymore. Yeah. Turn it to one side. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that comes down to, I guess, um, you know, that, that, that social pressure and the psychological safety. And yeah, that, that ultimately comes back to shame again. I think that the, the question that you asked actually was, um, you know, sometimes big, large scale change happens very suddenly. Um, and, you know, absolutely, when you look at something like this pandemic, you know, certainly a lot of people's ways of working had to shift very rapidly. You know, I know um, of, uh, you know, a, a number of companies who thought that they had their market thought that they had their uh, you know their, their their sort of their sphere of operation and actually have had to completely rejig that um you know uh, restaurants that have suddenly become takeaways grocers yeah. Yeah. um you know suppliers of of one kind of goods who suddenly their biggest sales are in uh hand sanitizers and soaps and that was never something that they really you know that was a sideline product for them before and um, so yeah you know large large scale change sometimes you know we can't help but adapt um and i guess you know the 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 people who are going to come out of this well and the companies that are going to come out of this well are those those people who um who are willing to be the early adopters you know who are willing to jump on board and try it out and see if it sticks and then as other people see that working they'll you know they'll get on board with that themselves but yeah i mean it always takes those um those early adopters to to get in on on, on something to show everybody else that actually you know you don't have to stick to that old way of doing things you can try this this new crazy way of doing things which is to shift your business perspective and direction but entrepreneurs and i've met a few and you can always tell when you meet a real entrepreneur their view about risk is entirely different it's not that they're not prudent or they don't weigh up the risks and options and what have you but they're they're just simply more fearless insofar yeah. as it fails it fails so yeah. what <laughs> yeah well that's uh, it uh, but the rest of us don't think, can we be, can we train ourselves to be more confident, be more entrepreneurial, to be less trapped in a, because there's obviously at the moment there is the other downside of lockdown is the mental health and people being yeah. injured, and they're, they're just unhappy. They're not, yeah. they're not coping. Can we teach ourselves to be more entrepreneurial, more resilient? Um, so I guess I don't think you can ever get rid of the fear yeah. you know if if you're um if you're a pessimistic person if if you know if, if that is your outlook i don't think that you can ever get rid of that what you can learn to do is to shift the way that you take that thought forwards okay um so um i can't remember the exact quote but um you know somebody somebody said to me once that the, the first thought that you have in any given situation that's what you've been taught to think right. you know that's that's sort of your 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 nurture if you like and your second thought that's actually you right. so i guess the the thing that you can do is to recognize that that first thought that you think that oh no you know this is all going to fail it's all yeah dismal there's no hope I can't do accepting it. yeah i can't i can't um accepting that that's that's just a thought it's not truth it's a story that we tell ourselves and we can choose then whether to believe it or whether to act on it and you know what happens next is entirely up to us um and so you know there's that great book isn't there feel the fear and do it anyway yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, which is a great philosophy on life, you know, accepting that the fear is there, but not letting that be the thing that stops you. And I think that's, you know, that's the entrepreneurial spirit, isn't it? Um, yeah. and, and I mean, that, that's, um, you know, mindfulness is, is often touted um, uh, as, you know, as a really useful thing to practice. But that's what makes mindfulness so effective. It's not the observing of the thing, which is, I think, what most people think of mindfulness is. It's, you know, sitting and noticing I'm in the chair or, you know, I'm in the room and my hands are cold. It's then, it's accepting that and deciding that's not going to be the thing that controls me. That's not going to be the thing that controls my thoughts. And that's not going to be the thing that takes me forwards. I'm now going to make a decision with that information about what to do next. Okay. So thinking about coming back to coaching, uh, organized, we talked a lot about individuals. Mm. So, uh, people are the things that make these things work. Um, individuals and interactions. Yes. Exactly. Um, but what about helping senior managers, senior lead boards, the board, mm. the, the infamous C-suite? How do you help them change the behaviour of the organisation en masse? Presumably they have to be different mm. and they have to bring everybody along with them, which again suggests I'm making them do something to people, which I'm not trying to suggest, but how do you move their mindset, not just for themselves, but other people as well? And I guess it comes down a large part to people's motivations, you know, the, the sort of the why, um, you know, Simon Sinek talks about the why. And, you know, it, it is the sort of the pivotal element um, that's either going to make what you're doing a success or not. Um, you know, if the why is to sort of to drive growth, um, uh, to, to, to do things better, yeah. um, you know, to make a better environment, then that will permeate because subconsciously that's going to affect your actions subconsciously it's going to affect your choice of words and the way that you speak to people and you know people ultimately want to fit in with other people um on some level and um i, I don't know if you you're familiar with um i've heard of mirror neurons um, mirror, so, neurons. Well, that's mirror, mirror neurons so if we're um especially particularly if we're in the room together but yeah. you know if you're, i'm looking at you and you're looking at me and i just suddenly break out into an you know an enormous smile there we go so you're smiling so these are your mirror yeah. neurons working yeah. in conjunction with mine you can't help but respond to my physical cues yeah. and yeah. you will also do the same to the cues in my voice to the cues in my tone to the cues in my body language and so when that why is very clear in the mind of an executive that will come out in the way that they um, the way that they interact with people around them and when that then um, you know when that is reciprocated people then go and take that forwards into their teams into the ways that they interact with the people around them and so on and so forth um, and a large part um, of uh, of success in this is actually understanding and I think one of the reasons that people struggle with this at the outset is not understanding why you know well our why is because we want to make money obviously you know and actually well okay so you want to make money why and yeah. you know the five whys is a fabulous right. tool you know actually sitting with executives um who you know <laughs> five wise <laughs> question me but you know you, you can do it in a gentle way of course yeah, you, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be aggressive or confrontational um 
but you know actually sitting there and discovering what's at the very core of you know why they operate why they're doing the job that they do you know actually identifying their personal values the things that drive them and then working that in and you know success is essentially it's it's matching you know the the values that we have at our core with what we're trying to do you know when when what you believe doesn't fit with what you're doing you get cognitive dissonance and you know people are dreadfully unhappy in that situation you know what I believe what I value what I hold dear is not what I'm experiencing and not what I'm doing and that that hurts you know it pains us when we can match that when we can find the bridge between the two um you know and and not even um you know rewriting what we're doing more finding the the similarities between what we believe and what we're doing and choosing those as the element to take the elements to take forwards using those as our focus our starting point that's when we then can start to influence our culture and our environment that's that's very uh interesting i mean in, in all the, the the roles and jobs i have i've always tried to find a big purpose mm. <laughs> so when i was working in the newspaper i was part of democracy uh, mm. and i was in uh, doing smart meters uh, i was saving the planet so that was quite a big macro thing yeah but it's it's again it comes back to these com- companies will often write about their values and people are the most important but the behavior never the behaviour no. very often doesn't back up those fine words. No, I suppose that, that again that comes back to does it match your 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 mm. your values mm. as an individual? You know mm. where where is the overlap between your values as an individual? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, finding that match, finding that connection, that's the bit that makes it click. Yeah. Ah, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you know that's what's on the wall. Well, most of it is dross, but that word there that yeah. stands out to me. That word speaks to me actually when I think about it and match it with what I truly believe and hold dear yeah, in yeah, the yeah. very core of me. Okay, that's what I can work towards. And suddenly, you know, this this light and this ah, oh, <laughs> you know, this this motivation, you know, it, sort of this spark goes would off. It, would it be better for people if they're a hard-nosed, brutal salesperson, say, I'm a hard-nosed, brutal salesperson, I like money, it gives me power. Um, just to be honest about that, I don't really care about people, I like the sale. And then, you know, actually people who like that being them, would they uh, like them being them, would join the company and just be very, very happy rather than going for all this fluff and nonsense? Or have I taken it too far? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, different environments are going to suit different people. But I suppose, you know, that person is going to at some point need to accept that if that's their driver, then maybe Agile isn't the way forwards for them, you know. Um, and, you know, they, they may well get superb results with, um, you know, with a different, a different kind of people. Yeah. Um, it's just not going to be the results that somebody with an Agile, you know, not to say that they're going to be better or worse just they're not going to be the same outcome let's be refreshingly honest i mean i think sometimes if you are what you are just be that don't you don't have to try and be something else and you're just conning yourself and you're conning everybody else and that might be a little bit too uh (laughs) but but i mean when when people approach you carrie i mean you know you're an agile behavior coach that's how you understand that when they come to you how do they frame their problems 
do they people look specifically for an agile behavioral coach? I'm not sure they do. They've got, I know. How, do, how do they talk to you in the first instance before you wire them on, on purpose and, and, and values? Yeah. Um, well, so I suppose they hear a little bit about what I do. Yeah. And you know, the, 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 the first words that I often hear are, Oh, we need someone like that with the, with the little roll of the eyes there. <laughs> oh, we need someone like that in our, Oh, <laughs> we need, we need that in our team. We need that in our company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> we need that soft skill stuff yeah 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 but it's it's always accompanied with that you know sort of uh, the roll of the eyes certainly but um you know that sort of that sitting back of oh i didn't realize other people had that problem and i didn't actually realize it was such a problem but now that you've said that i've just realized where it's all been going wrong all this time (laughs) oh my goodness i thought it was just about you know throwing this tool at it and then it'll work and you know i think that's that's what a lot of people try and do with agile isn't it you know they it it always astounds me you know despite what's in the manifesto that we focus um so much on the processes and the tools yeah yeah when it's you know it's absolutely the individuals and the interactions between them it's, it's the individuals who are trying to implement your processes yeah. and tools that are going to make your your, your whole thing sink or be a resounding yeah. success absolutely and we talk very often uh, on the conversations about um scaling and uh, i don't find many coaches really support the frameworks per se they're more about how people are working together and discovering the problem. I suppose the frameworks, do they provide a bit of a shortcut or do we think that we've just got a bit over-decorated? Well, I guess the thing to bear in mind with frameworks is, you know, if you want to introduce agility throughout your business, you're going to need some way of doing that. And you can either do it in a big mishmashed, you know, just throw agile at it and see if it'll stick or you can give people some sort of a structure. And, you know, I suppose because of the way that most of us have, you know, come through the education system, come through the employment system, most of us do at least recognize a structure. It may not be perfect. Yeah, yeah. More likely than not, you know, will not be perfect, but is it going to be better than trying to do the same thing without the framework? You know, it's always going to be better than, the alternative and I guess you know we we have to be (laughs) forgive me for saying but we have to be agile about it you know so this is the framework this is our starting point how are we then going to find the bits that cross over that meet the way that we as a business operate how are we going to find the bits that meet the ways that we think the meet the ways that um, our individuals like to work let's use those bits and build on those bits and make something better. The framework can be a starting point. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, the, the be all and the end all. But this is, I mean, that's very much, um, you know, that's a, another, <laughs> that's not my speciality. I'm not gonna, but that, that would be my take on it. <laughs> I think that's interesting though. I mean, I quite like the, uh, so how would it be better without it or worse without it and what have you. And mm-hmm. to be fair, if you're dealing with an organisation of some size with quite a lot of IT architecture, et cetera, et cetera, there's mm-hmm. going to be a number of manifest uh, problems. Although I do think sometimes it's just a bit of a hand-washing exercise. Ah, oh, we found the framework. I'm in charge. I've bought it. I've signed yeah. the check. I'll walk off and let it go. Yeah. And it's back to this engagement, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if people feel safe within the structure that you're you're handing over to them, then they're going to run with it. If yeah. they feel threatened by it, then they're going to dig their heels in 
and rebel. And, you know, this is where you get people, um, you know, actively sabotaging your, your agile transformation, isn't it? You know, when this framework is thrust upon them, this is the way you're doing things. No complaining. No, I don't want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's it. Oh, you don't want to hear my thoughts, and that's the point—the bit where you don't want to hear their thoughts. That's the bit where you've lost them. Yeah, you know, it, it, people need to be heard. You know, I mean, this is the cause of so much conflict. Um, you know, the biggest arguments erupt not because we disagree, but because I won't hear you and you won't hear me. If we heard each other, the other person would feel you know, far more secure as if they've, you know, giving people dignity, isn't it? You know, it's, it's that um, giving people, um, you know, respect, uh, understanding their expertise, their background, their history does give them a crucial perspective, does give them, um, you know, input and insight that I as an individual from my position, my perspective, my experience, I don't have, uh, you know, it's of enormous value to me, um, your perspective. I, I, I t it's you saying that has come at such an interesting time, of course, because mm -hmm. we've gone through um, some bruising politics in this country. We've had Brexit, uh, which is deeply polarizing. Yeah. Um, and we've now seen across the water the American election, where to be fairly safe to say that's highly yeah. polarized as well. Uh, yeah. But it seems even more polarized. And I think your point about it's not just the dignity, but being heard. And we seem to be coming pretty good at learning deafness to another side of the argument yeah what, what how we, we're speculating a little bit now on slightly larger macro things but how have we got to that point why has it got so intense do you think yeah i guess um i think a large part of it comes down to the absence of a face um you know with uh, things like twitter especially yeah. Yeah. um you know you can see people's words and all you've got is you know that little circle in the corner and it doesn't give you any context yeah. there's not a human being that yeah. you can look at and respond to um and you know whilst of course there's there's vitriol in person yeah, yeah. but i think when we're introduced to somebody um our first you know response is to pop out our hand and you know well, yeah, yeah. More, of course yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know rub elbows or whatever you want to do now um but you know you, you sort of you your first thing to do on meeting somebody new is a greeting to introduce yourself to them as another human being on twitter and that sort of a platform you just don't have that yeah. it's and, and so to you as an individual, you've got nothing to go on. There's no um, social framework there for you to be established within. Um, you know, and I guess that's why people have their, their bios, of course, so that you can choose to buy into their framework or not. But, you know, when you see those words on a page, you then tell yourself a story and decide how to interpret them. And without any, um, any feedback to tell you whether your interpretation is correct, you know, you don't have the other person's face giving you context you don't have their body language you don't have their tone of voice you don't have their pheromones telling you if they're angry or happy or, or whatever they're feeling you've just got words on a page and your decision of how you interpret them and so you know when you sort of become immersed in that world it's very easy then to just take all communication as the same thing and it's very very easy then to slip into that polarization and to decide you know to, to decide that, that they are the enemy 
essentially because you don't know them you don't have a connection and that automatically you know from an evolutionary perspective on a subconscious level that makes them other yeah. and you know this othering is what leads us then to um to so much polarization i get that it's it worries me actually to be honest um i've never seen it i don't feel i've ever seen it this intense i mean there's obviously been different points of view but it just seems super fueled at the moment and i do worry about it but um you mentioned about being locked in and meeting real people uh and if you've ever listened to any of my podcasts you know i don't like lockdown and I'm a, i like to be out and meeting people yeah. um, from your point of view do you feel now that how much more do we have to do what can we do to bring more human interaction back when we're doing things even zoom has its limitations it's not yeah. i can't get the pheromones um yeah but i feel i'm missing a great deal but that's tiring because it's fake it's fake to a degree uh, um what do we have to do now in this lockdown to bring that more human interaction back is it always going to be distanced or is it more good composite yeah, I think on some level, you know, it, it, it's a really hard one, isn't it? You know, I think the power of Zoom is that we can have a face-to-face -face chat. You know, you can hear my tone of voice, but you can also see my face. Of course, the reason that Zoom is so exhausting is because all you have is this window. Yeah. You know, you are missing out on, you know, an enormous amount of body language that, you know, your your, your brain is trying to pick up, but it's just not there. Um, so, you know, short of us both standing on the other side of the room to have our conversation yeah that's it and you know and i think one of the you know the silly things is making sure that our hands are visible in, yeah. in zoom yeah. calls and <laughs> but you know it's it's a little bit of body language that we can then give to show the other person um you know a little bit more of how we're feeling um of course we're never going to have um you know we're never going to have the the power that an in-person meeting um, will give us but again you know it's the same as applying your your scaled agile framework or, or whichever one you want to go for you know this is what we've got so I guess it's about finding ways to humanize each other within yeah. this context um, you know making do with what we have and working out how we're going to take that forwards and you know even things like having team meetings where for sort of most of the general chit chat so that we're not um you know exhausting people because what we don't want to do is is give people you know decision fatigue and um you know because they're, they're so busy trying to pick up cues that they they're not paying full attention to the the words of the other person that then when it comes to making a decision people aren't able to fully be present in the room aren't able to fully process what it is they're meant to be deciding so you know one of the things that i do with the teams i work with um, online is actually switching videos off for the majority of the call but then when it comes to um you know decision making discussions or you know something where there's actually um you know some conflict or you know that sort of thing something where there is necessary back and forth um we can put idea we can put videos on and we can exchange ideas in a more face-to-face -face, um setting and perhaps you know stand back so that we do have more perspective of body language um it takes good microphones of course but um you know uh, they're, they're developers so they're usually uh, they're all right on that at least um but yeah you know uh, introducing whatever elements of human contact you can and you know one of the the, the key things throughout lockdown and sort of you know helping people to feel connected and maintain that connection is making sure that you're not 
only checking in to see how much work people have got done. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. maintaining that human connection is absolutely vital. You know, um, checking in uh, leaders, managers, um, scrum masters, agile coaches, checking in with the people that they're working with just to see how they are, just yeah. to see how their week has been. Not talking about work at all but maintaining that social connection because that's one of the things that we need to feel when we're then in a room um you know collaborating and trying to achieve something together we need to feel that we've got that safety we need to feel that we've got that connection if i think you only care about me for my output you know i'm gonna automatically feel demotivated and i'm going to burn out much quicker that's uh, uh yeah so i i i I totally agree with that. And I think um, we just need to up our game. Uh, we just mm. need to put more time in the diary for people. But I think it was quite interesting that you turn the cameras off because the receipt with them is always keep the cameras on. So mm. we enforce that. But uh, there has been times where I just think it's just nice to get on the phone. Yes. Yeah. Well, phone. yeah. It seems it's a bit of a relaxation to talk to somebody on the phone for a change. Yeah. Um, the, um, I forgot what I was going to ask. Oh, I know what I was going to ask. Um, is this the time now of the introvert more comfortable with these devices? And is it way overdue? Because they, they don't always get a fair rub, have they? No, I know. And especially with an agile, you know, which is all about face-to-face, in-person yeah. meetings. Yeah. And yeah, all your, all your poor introverted developers, except for, you know, that one guy on the team, um, you know, or maybe it was a gal. But um, yeah, the, you know, the, 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 the introverts are sat there quite happily nestled in their computers, um, not having to talk to anybody. It's been lovely, hasn't it? For, well, um, <laughs> I'm an introvert. So for me, it's been very nice. But uh, yeah, and um, I... I do think it, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's a new way of working that suits a whole raft of people yeah. who, because of the very nature of introversion, perhaps yeah. weren't, weren't being very vocal or perhaps they were the ones disrupting, um, you know, and being like, yeah. oh, why do we have to have everything face to face? Although yeah. I speak to Mike Robinson and he, he's, I mean, he's a big fan of co-location, huge fan mm -hmm. of co-location and he's got evidence to suggest over 10 years of teamwork. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He yeah. said, well, working in the open office, however, is highly distracting and so on and so yeah. forth so you've got to manage your co-location there's no panacea just because you're the same office doesn't mean yeah. say you're in a good thing so equally yeah. being out of the office not necessarily a bad thing but uh, there are consequences of these yeah i mean i guess as with everything it's about balance isn't it you know if if you've got too much face to face then you're going to be losing a lot of productivity from all of your more introverted um you know team members who who need to you know need to sit back and and take some time to reflect and think before they say something but i mean you know it, yeah it, it, there's there's ways of working for everybody i guess one of the one of the ways to get the best out of your team is to actually spend some time discovering how different people like to work um and then making sure that there's a healthy balance of the two you know the two different ways of working making sure that introverted team members have information beforehand so that they can process it and you know come to the meeting say what they want to say and then sit back quietly yeah, um, yeah. Uh the, I, I was just thinking, actually, coming back to the beginning, as, you as a scrum master, which I think is, a, I think all the roles actually are hard to a scrum master, but I really have a lot of scrum master. And I was thinking about the onboarding of new people. And actually, you could have a scrum team now that someone's in Cornwall, someone's in the Ukraine, someone's in India, yeah. uh, 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 and someone is uh, actually down the road having a cup of tea in the cat. Um, 
and just bringing them together. And I just, I'm not sure how I do. I probably have some idea how I do it, but I thought that's a heck of a challenge. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, certainly without that sort of that, that pub visit, you know, the first uh, or the first coffee shop um, exactly. chat or the, you know, the first picnic on the lawn outside the office, um, yeah. the ice cream supplied by. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom off. doesn't really do it for me. No, but, uh, but, but I've seen some, you know, some lovely, uh, some lovely ways of onboarding people from, you know, each person in the team. Um, doing a brief you know here's me intro here's what I think the company does here's what I think the team does and then handing it over and then you know getting everybody together and, and yeah seeing yeah. Where, where, where that overlaps and this this new person you know obviously getting this uh, this individual perspective of, of where everybody is and then seeing that all come together and to you know online zoom pizza parties um, where pizza is delivered and everybody just has a a, a natter yeah, um, yeah. or pub quizzes you know where sort of in the first week um you know you sort of you do do a pub quiz style thing but where the questions are all about the company and the culture and the managers so that your you know your newbie gets a really good um you know sort of um, fast-tracked introduction to the company without being in the office an idea of who everybody is yeah awesome. and i think that's really interesting it, it, it occurred to me as we were speaking earlier that i thought actually one thing about lockdown or or not coming together quite as frequently is the owners of the company the stewards of the company directors, whatever they they are have to really now be very clear about what the purpose of the company is and what it's all about because again i have to tell people explicitly they haven't got so much osmosis going on by just working in the same building together yeah absolutely and you know what you were saying earlier about um you know how does somebody introduce the culture um yeah through through speaking to people and yeah i guess um you know managers and leaders um you know they do have to take that time especially with um with new staff take that time to to talk to them um you know obviously depending on your your level you you might not want to be welcoming every new employee but you know certainly taking the time to um yeah to introduce yourself in some way um and letting people hear how you talk um i think is really important um because there's no other way really of them understanding who is at the head and yeah, who is driving, who's driving the car, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, what's the next big adventures for you? I mean, I was just thinking, what would you do next? Because you're, you're the, somebody who will just see, there's the opportunity. I'm going to go for it. So do you have any idea what's coming next or are you thinking, right, I'm just going to see what comes in? Well, yeah, you know, I, I'll I'll keep doing what I do. I do it because I'm a you know a brain nerd and I I, I love it. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 studying neuroscience, um, you know, uh, coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, introducing a bit more, uh, yeah, neuroscientific. More Sorry. A bit more science. Yeah, who doesn't love a bit of science? You know, I, I love the fact that when, when we were first introduced by Matt Hoskins, who very naughtily just called your name out <laughs> in public with no warning. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and you're incredibly kind and, uh, uh, and gracious but what you do say oh, we need to have a bit of an agile nerd out that would be great <laughs> I thought, mm. thought you're born after my own <laughs> oh yes yeah love a, love, a, love a bit of agile nerdery or brain nerdery you know i'm happy <laughs> all about jane uh yeah. kerry what a joy to speak to you thank you so much if people want to get in touch with you talk about some of the issues that you've raised or even say actually we do need some of that my role, help me with my people, or even just thinking about onboarding, how can they get hold of you? 
Yeah, sure. Well, I'm I'm on LinkedIn, um, so I'm I'm Kerry Newton Saganar. Um, you can find me, uh, yeah, on LinkedIn quite easily. I'm also on Twitter. Um, I'm uh, at uh, Hot Cup of Tea. Please. Yes, I love that. We will put those links in uh, in the in the podcast, of course. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Really enjoyed speaking to you. It's been and, a joy. Uh, hopefully, we'll keep in touch as well. Um, if anything that's been raised today and you'd like to speak to Kerry or you'd like to speak to me, you can get hold of me at ian.gill at agilitybynature.com or I am in uh, LinkedIn. So I'm here to listen and help as much as I can. In the meantime, I think uh, I'm looking at my teacup. Uh, I know your teacup is a bit empty. It's tea o'clock. Might have a biscuit though. What do you think? Definitely. Tea and a biscuit and a sit down. Lovely. Thank you so much, Kerry. Speak Thank to you, you soon. Take care.